What's the password? <laughs> Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button. Hello and welcome to the GM Speakeasy. I see you found your way in, got the password and everything, come on in. Pull up a chair next to the ever-burning hearth. Uh, I'm your one of your hosts, Cody, joined by... Lance. Lance, my good buddy Lance, who's uh, been one of my companions in this crazy world we call Tabletop. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, how about you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, what are we here for? Uh, uh, tabletop game stuff. That's right, we're here to talk about t- tabletop game stuff. Uh, in case you're joining us on episode three and have missed the first two, we are a podcast about tabletop yeah. games, primarily role-playing games. Uh, here and there, we, we might talk about uh, board games or TCGs or other stuff, but it's mostly RPGs. Yeah, That's, if, you, if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, go do that. Yeah, yeah, you, you can go do that right now, or don't. Either way, tell your friends. Uh, but do it. Come on in, pull up a chair, uh, and not just game masters uh, are welcome here, even though you are encouraged to stay, especially if you are a game master. Uh, Lance and myself both are game masters, experienced to some degree or another, some in more other regards. You have more years of experience, definitely. Yeah, but you're probably better at it than I am. Yeah, at least for <laughs> fantasy stuff like D&D <laughs> and uh, Pathfinder, which is what currently my current weekly game, Pathfinder 2. Uh, so I've, we have only a, a little bit of news today. Uh, let's get started on the news segment. Aside from just a little bit ago, have you ever heard of Mothership? Nope. Alright, well, do you like things that are sci-fi horror? Yes. Alright, so then we should probably try try this uh, system at least one time, maybe do a one-shot of it. But Mothership, I believe it was primarily made by two guys, just two dudes. I don't know their names. I am, I'm sorry, I just, forgot. Just two brothers. Just It's, it's just called Two Brothers. Uh, the mothership sci-fi horror setting uh, system can be used for any sci-fi setting you want. Okay. But the it's a very easy to pick up uh, rule system. I actually have a copy of it. Uh, it's it's like a pamphlet. It's like it can't be more than 30, 35 pages. So we could play like System Shock, the the tabletop. We, you could. We could do oh. System Shock. We could do we could do any any sort. We could do. You could probably run an Aliens game mm-hmm. in it. Like any any sci-fi horror would do well, but particularly ones that involve spaceships. Okay. Yeah, because there there are spaceship rules for it, and I if I you know I remember uh, correctly, there's only like three or four base classes. One of them is like the researcher. Uh, one of them is the colonial marine. You know, you've got space trucker. Uh, I think there might there's probably a fourth one in there, like the the skilled mechanic or oh. something like that. Dan should uh, totally make the space trucker. He oh yes, he would love that. That's <laughs> that's right up his alley. But no, the uh, this system has been out for a couple years. What they I, if I, what I remember from their development was that they would they would have beta tests. They would have like public mm-hmm. beta tests uh, where the you know you could just download the rules online, play and provide feedback, probably through like Discord or something. But they but but they currently at least at the time of this recording. They have a Kickstarter for an actual boxed set, which is pretty sweet. So, like, full-on book, not just rules, but yeah, a whole so bunch you, of... Yeah, so you've got, like, a, I think it's probably going to have a, a, a fancier, probably a fancier hardcover book 
probably, and maybe some uh, gizmos to go along with it, some like attachments, peripheries. I don't know what all comes with it, but I know that there is a box set, uh, and it's it's going to have like a deluxe edition. So some shelf candy. Yeah, yeah, it's you got your your shelf candy, not unlike the things you have from 40k on your shelf mm. and uh, <laughs> Dishonored, 40k, Dishonored, all Fallout. my all my video game stuff. Yeah, yeah, the, the collect it's got some collectibles in there, but I think they like they crushed their. They crushed their uh, goal already in like day one. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot of a lot of games that end up going through Kickstarters do really well on those, which is nice. It's it's nice to know that we have a strong tabletop gaming community that supports, you know, new IPs coming out, new projects that people are putting together. Okay, I just pulled it up. Their goal was twenty grand. Okay, that's a modest goal. Yeah, yeah. They're they've got eight hundred and twenty one thousand dollars wow. so far, okay. and twenty four days to go. That is. That is a lot more money than they had asked for. Yeah, so they have probably a, more than they expected. They got a fifty-nine dollar core set, which has the uh, player's survival guide, the warden's operation manual, uh, contact reports, and then what all the stretch goals are. And then there's a dog set that has like all that, and then additional additional stuff, uh, unconfirmed contact reports, dead planet, pound of flesh. I imagine these are scenarios or adventures. Sounds what like have sounds you. like the names of. Yeah, and then it looks like you got some some dice and more shelf candy. But yeah, this has been this has been yet another system I've had in my on my shelf and have not run yet. Okay. But uh, you you collect those I unused do. systems. That's so you know other people collect like all the quarters or various coins or antique pots. I just I just collect rule books. <laughs> I collect uh, beer glasses. So, someday I'll someday I'll yeah do you? <laughs> well, I mean, basically from all the breweries we go to or. Any of the uh, like oh, beer yeah, festivals. Yeah, I've seen, yeah. Yeah. My, my kid broke one of my brubecue ones from this last year. Oh, no. I had two, so. What's a brubecue? I mean, I can guess based on the name, but is it like, yes. a, is is it, it like an actual event? Yeah. Or is it, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's an independence, actually. Okay, so it's, it's a local thing. Yep, local thing. Gotcha. Lots of beer. And, you did not uh, have to travel far for the brubecue. No, no, no. All right. Well, uh... That's a sh- well. I guess you could probably get a, a future brubecue one then, huh? I, I will almost assuredly go next year. Yes. Speaking of brubecue, uh, what are we drinking today? Uh, we are drinking this uh, this this weird kind of key lime pie um, ghost with vanilla and coriander in it. Yeah, do you like it? It sounds a little weird, but honestly, it goes down okay. I think that uh, I think that my wife would really like this as a fan of kind of sours and key lime pie. I think she would really dig this. She can have the other two cans I have at home. My girlfriend hates it. All right, fair enough. <laughs> and she's the one who picked it I, up. I will take them home. I'm yeah. sure Sarah will appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so tell me, oh, what else you got going on? What'd you do this week? Uh, let's let's mm. actually, yeah, let's talk about uh, the, your tabletop experience this last week. Would would have probably primarily just been my session of our weekly. That would have been yeah, all I did this week. Yeah, yeah. That's... Um. Okay. Well, if you guys listened to the last episode, we kind of uh, left off talking a little bit about two of our compatriots being locked in a dungeon underneath of a, a greenhouse and the rest of the party going down there with uh, some weird spider witch lady. And, um, like, we ended the session just before the fight kicked off. Which, so, was, which was a wise decision because the next this next session we ran the fight and it lasted the whole the session. The whole session was yeah. nothing but fight. So, to set the scene, we're, we're, we're at this, this university... And we're underground, and we found out that there was some really shady stuff going on. Um, our monk and our barbarian had gotten in enough trouble that some of these members of this cult had drugged them when they were separated from the rest of us, 
disarmed them and locked them up down. And here. I, I want to be clear because uh, I'm, you know, I didn't tell the group this, but I'm going to tell you this because it's relevant to the podcast. This was not GM fiat wave of the hand. Uh, these were unfudged dice rolls behind the screen of the bad guy NPCs trying to sneak into their dorm room as well as make their stealth checks. There were four points of failure, and they rolled high on those d20s on all four of them. So it wasn't just oh, I captured two of the party members. It was there were I created DCs and everything, <laughs> and the the guys the the bad guys got really lucky. Well, I wholly expected actually in that situation when they were trying to drug the the bar- monk and barbarian that at least one of them would wake up and smash mm. these dudes faces in but i mean it, the, the dice did not to uh, the dice did not deem that the, the, the was not the way of things so as we will be discussing in our open segment the uh, pros and cons to fudging dice rolls or got, fudging in general fudging yeah. you can fudge more than dice yeah, rolls fudge, fudging in general i i wouldn't have cared if you to fudge the dice rolls to get them there if it furthers the plot getting them put in the jail cell is fine but we'll get we'll get to that later so We start combat with these two unconscious in the cell. Around this room, there's various vials of things and whatnot, and we found some wake-up serum, basically, um, that could either be taken orally with, like, a percentage chance of success... Yeah, there would be... So you haven't had to do a lot of it as a rogue yet, and then no one no one in the group has done a whole lot of this, but Pathfinder 2 has what's called the counteract check. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with, like, the source of the counteract versus what it's trying to counteract. And then, so, like... If there's a failure, I think, is uh, on the roll if it's a failure, but the level is higher. So say, for instance, it's a level 2 poison and you have like a level 3 counteract, mm-hmm. counteracting antidote, for, in- for example. Uh, if you roll a failure, you still successfully counteract it because the level of the source is higher. Okay. So anyway, there was a... The level of the antidote was equal and then it had a plus... Mm. modifier to it yeah to i know the you DC made a, of the original poison i know you made a roll when they when there was an attempt for them to get up yeah so and ju- so uh taken orally um it, it required an eight on the die to succeed eight okay. or higher they both rolled like crap they, yeah and they <laughs> but yeah the the person who administered it rolled a one on both oh, the, both gross. the first dies yeah both first tries so as the fight starts there's a series of pillars on the walls that all have these electrical lighting things and there's like these weird Electrical objects, Tesla coils, and things like that all over this laboratory. Um, When the big bad, he made a gesture that ended up changing the source of the light. And I caught on that, that, that some of these sources of electricity, like where they were in the room. Yeah. So I took the first one out with a dagger and it ended up shutting off basically the back half of the room's lights, which obscured all of us, which was good for my rogue. Yeah. Um, And we also found out the hard way that if you break the energized bulbs, there's an arc of electricity that shoots out in an area around where the bulb was. Yep, it's a five square emanation. Yep. They could five turn, foot. Was was that when it was turned up or turned down? <laughs> turned up. Okay, when, so turned down it, was just the was, one space. Yeah, when it was turned up, it emanated in a five feet around it. Okay. Uh, when it was not given the juice, then it was only the square the, that it existed okay. in. Okay, and that's what I thought too. So we ended up doing that. Now, we had just leveled up before this session. And I had no idea that this was going to be as useful as it was because I didn't know we were going to need to administer this antidote to wake them up. But Bog, my goblin rogue, went ahead and took medicine skill and assurance as a skill feat. Correct. So that, like, he's pretty much guaranteed to get a baseline level of success on any medical jags. On the basic stuff. Yeah. Because it it only adds your proficiency on it. You take 10 and add your proficiency. And, and I mean, you would, listen, I don't want him doing anything as complex as brain surgery anyway. He picks his nose (laughs) and he doesn't doesn't wash well. He he picks his 
his nose. He's just a he's a he's a simple goblin of simple desires. He's a gross little dude. He's yeah. He's a he's a little fucking. I'm, I'm okay with that. He's a little ball. He's a little walking ball of trash. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so, so our alchemist, who I figured would be like key to waking these guys up, because yeah. um, she's the medic of the she's group. the medic of the group. She had her familiar snatch up these. Uh, the kit. The kit yeah. that had four antidotes in it. One of them was in an, um, a needle for injection, and the other three were just in vials that could either be used to fill up the needle or they could be administered orally. Yeah. Well, she sends her, her little uh, dude to squeeze between the bars of the thing before we even get the door unlocked and to try administering him. So he, this, this this poor little little familiar wastes two of these. Because the, the rolls made after they were administered orally were just abject failures. I mean, these were roll, ones on both die. Yep, not so good. I took out enough lights to make sure that the wizard on the other side of the room would probably have a really rough go at hitting my goblin. Crept over there, unlocked the door, and then I stole the, the kit from the um, familiar and used my newfound medical skills to wake up the other two guys. While all this is going on, um, we have the bard... The champion and the alchemist all participating in combat. Well, the because uh, two of the party members started off unconscious yeah, in the, a jail cell in this combat. The monk and the barbarian are asleep. We're trying to remedy that situation to hopefully kind of turn the numbers yeah. and the action economy back on our side. Um, unfortunately, the uh, the champion got himself a little too deep with a lot of the enemies there because there was a pit full of undead that crawled out after us, a giant Frankenstein monster. Uh, some kind of devil or demon. I don't. I don't know what he was, but he was fighting our little spider witch yeah, buddy. You, you don't know. I don't know what that is. No, uh, no, not a lot of. Re- no one attempted a recall knowledge I, check. So who knows? I have no idea what that thing was. <laughs> but I was at least you know from for Bog worrying about his skin. I was more worried about ranged attacks from that wizard than anything else. So I, I made everything nice and dark. He was human. I was banking on him not having dark vision. And he did not. And it seemed to work out in my favor. We get the door unlocked. I inject both of these guys. About that time, I think, is when the, the champion went down. Yeah, yeah, So you're the whole time that you are over being bogged... I have one question to ask. At the start of the combat, you actually went to the eastern side of the room, like, at the beginning. You, mm-hmm. you kind of went at this angle and away from the... What was your initial goal going that direction? Because um, I, I expected at the start... A lot of the times these combats start, and I think, well, if they behave like this, it won't be too hard. And then you guys don't behave. Yeah, like we, that. we listen. It's, <laughs> we never behave like you think we're going to. Yeah, behave. I expected you to use most of your actions to beeline to the jail cell. I think that the and and that is what I said in the last session. Actually, is that I could probably get over there and get them out of there. I didn't realize that they were still going to be deeply drugged when we got there. So mm-hmm. once that became a thing, I was like, well, even if I can get over there, it's not going to do me a whole lot of good if I could wake them up. When I banked right, it was predominantly because um, I hadn't, and and I, I think it was it was the alchemist that, that asked about it and noticed the table that had all the, uh, both the, the drugs to knock them out and the drugs to wake them up. Mm-hmm. Well, not knowing how it was going to be able to, to wake them up, I think I banked that direction. Um, and I was trying to get cover behind the pillar because I okay. didn't, didn't want the wizard to see me. You were just spreading out. Yeah, I was... You know, she was going left, you were going mm-hmm. right. All and right. Yeah, and that was kind of my figuring was until we figured out how we were going to wake him up. I, there was a, a, begin, a period at the beginning of that fight where I thought we were probably going to have to do the fight without him because I didn't know we had a way to wake them up yet. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. that I, I couldn't do that. That would be... 
That'd be anti-fun to yeah. just make them sit well, sit in combat they, and do nothing. They still ended up sitting there for about half the half the fight because they none did, of us, unfortunately. None of us put a lot of effort into getting them out right away. No, the the two heaviest hitters of the party, mm-hmm. and, and they were locked up behind bars. Yeah, I feel like the barbarian was mad that I woke up the monk first, but he doesn't need weapons to kill people, so That's I went, true. went ahead and just let him. So you tell us, uh, so the champion, he was running right up front and center, straight mm-hmm. through the middle of the uh, room. He, I mean, he was the group's tank, and this, he was doing what the tank does. But there's, I think, there's a point to this story. We're getting to it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I think he bit off a little more than he could chew. Yes, and I don't, if you recall last episode, I made an oath. Yep. No, yeah, he did. He said that uh, as long as we were playing Pathfinder, he was not going to be fudging any dice rolls. Not fudging any dice rolls? Not fudging. I'm not going to fudge anything. Not not fudging fudging any outcomes. Not fudging any outcomes, not fudging health. Everything's got to be prepped ahead of time, and it's got to follow through just to the will of chaos. Yeah. And that's what happened. That is precisely what happened. So, uh, Rip Finn. um, Yeah, Rip, Rip, Rip Finn the champion. He, uh... He went. He went toe to toe with the big, the big bad zombie. Who's who, honestly he was, he was more of a sack of hit points, low AC kind of guy. Yeah, he was. He was fighting the. Uh, well, there Little was a warm. bunch of zombies trying to swarm him too. Yeah, it was the zombies and then the uh, big old Frankenstein monster thing that was going on in there. But yeah, he had gone down once and then come back up. Mm-hmm. So he was wounded one. So he went down a second time and he was dying too. And then on the first time that he rolled a death save or a death little... or a death saving yep. throw, crit fail. Number one on the die. Yep. And that was it. Curtains. Yep. Which uh, I kind of felt bad, but that was, uh, you know, he's, he kind of left the room in a huff. Three minutes later, he was back downstairs ready to build a new character. Yep. He spent the rest of the session on Path Builder looking up options. You know, even even if I, I went behind, I went out of my way to reveal to him that there might be a way for that character mm. to come back alive. It was it was already in the world. It's nearby. There's a chance that player could still play that character. And he's like, no, I got a new idea already. So I mean, I like the character. It, like Finn was like a super nice guy, and he was always nice to Bog, which isn't always the case with most characters because Bog kind of a turd. Yeah, but, he's, a, he's a huge turd, but he's lovable. But um, but I I, I do think Finn was kind of out of place in the group anyway. As as a group full of pirates having the kind of more moral champion in the group, yeah, I was always, was... I was always, it never happened, but I was always waiting for the point where our motivations as pirates ran afoul of his. At some point, it was going morality, to. and then we were going to have a conflict. Which would have in the group been anyway. dramatic. No, it would, yeah, it would have been dramatic. It would have, been very, it would have made play, for but... an interesting story. But at the start of this campaign, I asked you guys for this pirate campaign, how piratey are your characters? And you guys looked me in the face and said. Well, they're pirates, yep. so so you guys are not necessarily well, I, you're I, not good people. I think that fits Bog very well for this campaign. Absolutely, I mean, he's, this he's... is a good campaign to play Bog in. But the the guy had an idea for a, for a character, mm-hmm. and for personal reasons, he really wanted to play this character. And I, so we had to. It was going to have to be. There was no way he was playing a paladin in the Pathfinder system. Paladins are lawful good. Mm-hmm. If you're playing a pirate, you're you're against. Yeah, in general, most law. closer to neutral anyway. You know, you can you can try and say, "Oh, I've got we've got our own code, own lawful code," but I'm trying to play at least for the first year or so that we play Pathfinder. I want to play close to rules as written, mm-hmm. and the the anathema for paladins is breaking uh, the law. It, it yeah, it would be too much uh, to run his character. The cha- now the chaotic. The chaotic good champion, we could weasel that in, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, we he, he doesn't because one of the the tenets of a champion who is chaotic good, you cannot infringe upon other people's way of living. That's so, that's part of his time. He can't tell you not to be a pirate. So, that's, he's, so he's a libertarian. Yeah, I mean, well, 
we don't need to be, bring politics into this, but kind of. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he wanted to, he want, uh, that's one of the tenets of being a chaotic good champion is that you cannot tell people how to live their life. You can, you know, stop undead and you know, defeat fiends and bad guys if you want, but, uh, you get, but there, no one is too far gone that they can't have a chance to live a proper life. Fair enough. I think he's. Uh, I think he's fixing to replace uh, Finn with a gunslinger. Then, as there's, that was what he told me most recently. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. You are his. Uh, he's. He's. Ta- he wants to take the sniping duo. Yeah, archetype, he, and that requires buy-in from another party member. Well, he told me the only thing I would need is to make sure that I had my reaction available for him, which I don't have a lot of use for currently. There are some things you could do with your reaction as part of his archetype, mm-hmm. but otherwise, it, I'm talking about flavor-wise. Oh, because you know you would be mm-hmm. his his spotter mm-hmm. essentially, so it. Yeah, requ- requires a buy-in on Bog's part to work with this gnome and be a team about it. Oh, he's a gnome. <laughs> oh, he didn't... <laughs> no, he did not tell me that. This is, he this just is... he sent me a message asking me what I do with my reaction, and I said, currently nothing, but I do have some stuff coming up in future levels that will be pretty key for that. Oh, yeah. And Because he said it was either going to be me or the Barbarian that he was going to try to get to spot for him, because I, I think he linked me some ability where he can basically shoot and bounce a bullet off my weapon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Targets it's, with it's, it, something wild oh, it's like that. it's super bad. It's super awesome. It's super badass. It's, uh, you know, you he shoots a bullet, and you you become the point of origin, so you can mm-hmm. redirect it off the side. It's, it's real... It's real hokey, you know. That's yeah. not something you do in real life. But this is this is fantasy role playing at its I, finest. I'm looking forward to it, just of nothing else, to see what the gunslinger is capable of. It's a new class. I haven't really even looked into it at all. So this will be just a, a kind of a new mechanically. Uh, he's going to crit more than anyone else. Yeah. So uh, in Pathfinder Two, uh, the fighter was alone in the fact that they got legendary weapon proficiency. No other class did. The gunslinger gets legendary weapon proficiency eventually. And they start off expert at level 1. And so he's going to be at level 5 master proficiency, whereas you just got expert proficiency. So that's an additional plus 2. That's another 10% chance to hit, another 10% chance to crit. But he's got the... So we're on to today's topic. He's creating a new character because of... His character died. My question to you, Lance, have you ever fudged the game to prevent a character dying? Oh, yeah. Lots and lots and lots of times. All right, tell me about it. Okay, Um. well, I mean, the the list is long and vast. I will just say that a lot of this, and this is just kind of the precursor to this conversation, a lot of it depends on the system that you're playing and kind of where as a GM you want the campaign to go. And this is the kind of thing I, I expect there'll probably be a lot of emails and comments on because I this is this is a very divisive topic. It's a in the very gaming. hot topic, yeah, one it, might say. In in the gaming community as to, you know, whether or not it's acceptable to fudge dice rolls. I'm on the pro side. I just I think that if if the story requires it, if it if it makes for a better story, then you should do it. I mean it just because after all I've always looked at these games like a very, very complex choose-your-own-adventure book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, it's... it's Many plots are set up like that. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, if, if some part of your plot... Especially pre-written adventures. Mm-hmm. Well, and if some part of your, your overall campaign arc kind of requires that one or more of your characters be there for it, that, you know, and and it it's, it's one of those things where it, it depends on the circumstance. I, for a long time, didn't like having any of my players die if it wasn't sufficiently dramatic. Right. Like, I, and this was this was probably most predominant in Deadlands. Like, because as, as we talked about, I think, in the, the first episode when we kind of hit on Deadlands, or maybe we didn't, um, it's one of those systems that since it's not level-based, a, like, 
nobody moot character with a good role can easily take out. Well, I wouldn't say easily, but I mean can. There's a chance. There's definitely because a chance there. They roll so. right. There's exploding dice mm-hmm. in Deadlands, so you roll you roll the highest yeah, you one. Just, you you just roll keep, it again and add it. Keep rolling as long as you can hit that yeah. higher highest one. And you, I gotta, mean, you gotta you got your revolver shooting what one d six two d six I think three d six was the base damage. Three d six. So yeah, most you get, good revolvers. You roll one of those. You know, you got a five, a four, and a six. Then you roll that six again. Oh, that's another six. Mm-hmm. Roll it again. Suddenly yep. you're damaged to the. And it's a headshot. Oh, it's a headshot. Now you got two oh, extra d6s God. on top of it. You could lose an arm easily. You lose your head. You know, and and I didn't ever really think that it was sufficiently cool to have a character that would die at the hands of some just nobody enemy. Yeah, yeah I mean, as a player, it doesn't Joe make Schmo you feel with a ten dollar yeah, bounty out in Arizona. Make you feel good about your character. It doesn't make you feel good about the game. And as a game master. If the plot that you had going on honestly included these some of these characters being present. So while I might make him take like four wounds to the head, you know, maybe even get knocked out of combat. Yeah. Somehow I'd find a way to pull him through. Right. Now that's not always the case. And I mean, to be honest with you, more often than not, I would neglect to fudge dice when players did something stupid mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess you know life's life's hard life's harder if you're stupid oh yeah, so, yeah. it's one of those situations <laughs> you, you where stupid games win stupid yeah. prizes so i mean some of those characters that that got away got away just based on pure luck because they were doing something stupid i'd rarely do anything to save them yeah. but what is your take on fudging dice i know we've talked about it in pathfinder because you've pretty much declared that's a no-go Yes, as of especially last, and I haven't done a whole lot of it. I, I would say maybe since we started Pathfinder, I might have done it once, mm. and it was, uh, and I think it, I'll come clean. It was it was just initiative. I rolled initiative for all the monsters, and they it was all at the bottom. They were all. At the, I just wanted a monster to have an option to go first. <laughs> you just wanted them to not all be dead it wasn't before even, their turns. It wasn't came even. Uh, it wasn't even like a dramatic encounter. Mm. It was just like. You know, you guys are fighting uh, some mooks, right? Mm-hmm. And and I just wanted at least one or two of the mooks to to have a chance to swing at your AC before things were over. Oh yeah. But d- don't get me wrong. There's, uh, you know, you have those encounters where the party just uh, they just wipe the floor with the enemy, and it it makes you feel awesome, right? Mm-hmm. When you do that. But if if at the same time, one thing that GMs worry about is providing enough threat that it feels real you want that you want the authenticity that your characters could die you want it that in the back of their heads uh, especially if you're trying to fudge to keep them alive but you don't want them to die because you're rooting for them well it, a good gm is rooting for their players to oh, succeed for sure because again it's all about telling a good story it's yeah. not, like if you're a gm that's playing this game to win it's you, you at that point. I'll be what honest. Are you doing with you, with you, you've life? already failed because Who hurt you <laughs> exactly because the, as, as simple as it sounds, you can just drop cows out of orbit onto your players. I mean, if killing them is your only goal, you have the you have a very bad, bad mentality about gaming. It's supposed to be about everybody around the table having fun and telling a story. And at least and at least a modern day tabletop, it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's very much well, true. I mean, if, there's there's a difference between these like war games, but I mean war games you don't really have a GM anymore. You've got two dudes just rolling dice and making decisions. You know, there's an interesting uh, there's an interesting interview um, where Matt Colville interviews his buddy who has also been a longtime GM from like way back mm-hmm. in old edition D and D. And back then it was much more gamified, and they talk about how. Back then, they would measure their nights in how many rooms got cleared. Hey, how many rooms mm-hmm. did you clear in your D&D session? Because yeah, it was just all done. It, it was Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So what the, it was more about clearing dungeons mm-hmm. and less about narrative. Whereas yeah. these days, it's more about the narrative. Mm-hmm. But they also, uh, back then, apparently it was weird if they went 
more than a couple sessions and people didn't die. Yeah, I mean... It was... it was Because adventuring is a deadly, well, but, I mean, that, deadly game. I, I would argue that old D&D was almost more of a board game... It kind of was, yes. ...than a role-playing game, if that makes any sense. It had its, its inspirations from war games. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at Chainmail, which was kind of like a, a, a war game, and that's where D&D had some of its first rules taken from. Yeah. Kind of, at, least, at least my understanding of it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have a question. Uh, this is a specific uh, situation. It, you, you might not be able to remember. Uh, there was a point where, before I joined Deadlands, you had your players trapped up in the mountains in a snowstorm. I do remember that. Yeah. Did, was there any fudging for the survival of that encounter? Because was what was it? Was it a Yeti or a Wendigo? Wendigo. It was a Wendigo. Mm-hmm. They were up in the mountains secluded in a cabin probably starving one of them was diseased because he had been bitten by like hyper rabid wolves oh that 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 we had solved that the 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 rabid wolf thing was was dealt with but one of the characters it wasn't flick suffering from some illness while they were trapped in that cabin. no we had dealt with that um it was was something it was um patty the irish gunslinger yes that's right he had a very very severe addiction to alcohol oh yeah and so his struggle during that thing is that they were trapped up in the mountains for several weeks and he didn't have any booze right so he started really like he had some pretty heavy modifiers for that because he had taken like the highest possible level addiction of addiction addiction five or something two or three but yeah he took the highest level of addiction to alcohol so he was struggling um i did do always drink responsibly kids (laughs) <laughs> seriously no i mean I, I agree with you but yeah it's in it, i honestly love it for a dramatic story mm-hmm. you know you're, you're up in there trapped by this uh, i assume when to go well i can assume all i want i don't know the the beast statistics and until i run it again i wouldn't know but i assume wendigos move pretty quick yeah and they're very hard to kill yeah um i did fudge a little bit in the player's favor when they finally got to fighting the wendigo because the the starvation and the weather had them so beaten down that that which I mean that was kind of the purpose, but I, I wasn't trying to kill them on the mountain. You know that was not my intent when I put them up there in the first place, and they didn't put themselves in that situation. I didn't leave them much choice. I mean I, I didn't railroad them, but the there were they were being they had wanted or they were being followed or something by the authorities after for something else that they'd done and gotten some, themselves in trouble. They basically fled into the mountains into the storm in order to get away from the authorities that were chasing them. Right, and so the. Uh... But do you, did you have to do any fudging? Yeah, when when they fought the Wendigo, I want to say that, that he rolled high enough on one of his attacks that he would have clear-cut one of the players. One hit, five wounds to the chest, done. <laughs> so just, they, and they would have done. Yeah, I, I whittled that down to um, survivable levels. All right. But I, 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 you know, on the subject of, of fudging, I do want to say that when I do it, when I, when I kind of aspire to, to, to use that as a tool in my toolbox, it goes both ways. Much like you said, you know, sometimes when it comes to enemies that you want to make sure they get a turn or you buff their HP a little bit to make sure that there's a little bit of a challenge. I do the same thing too. If I've got a big bad and one of the players gets like a just crazy off the wall shot that's so good that he's going to clear this dude's, you know, head off in one hit, I will fudge the numbers to make sure that doesn't happen. I need to keep him alive for a couple of rounds because, like you said, sometimes you, sometimes you just have to provide the illusion of challenge. Yeah. Even if it's not an actual challenge. If you can successfully keep up the drama mm-hmm. and your players aren't suspecting you of it, you know, then... Well, and that's, that's kind of my philosophy when it comes to fudging dice is that at the end of the day, it's just another tool as a GM for you to keep in your toolkit 
in case you need it. It's not so, like, you shouldn't go into the fights with the expectation that you're going to need to fudge things, because that's a sign of bad tuning. That means you didn't prepare enough when you were GMing in the first place. And you shouldn't go in there to save your players from every stupid thing that they could conceivably do either. I mean, at some point, they're going to have to to learn how to play within the world correctly. You know, or, or you know, I mean, if you're going to be really, really stupid, you also need to be really, really strong. Okay. <laughs> you, I mean, you better have maxed out that, I'm that not constitution gonna, slash I'm, vigor score. I'm not going to mention any names, but the Deadlands version of Hung is a really good example of that. Oh, yes. Captain, yeah, he, Captain Hung Solo. He did everything stupid he could find, and it was fun. He was a blast of a player to GM, but he was the most chaotic element ever. He, bra- he breaks rule one pretty much every, every other single, Yeah, separating he, the party. Hung every, doesn't make problems. He makes adventures he does and i mean he's doing the same thing in pathfinder but i don't think he's quite as powerful in pathfinder oh as that, yeah so because he's playing because dan's playing hung right now yeah the, the pathfinder we, version of him and and i imagine as we go forward hung and bog together it's going to be chaos yeah well that was the whole reason that i decided to play bog i was like this is going to be absolute and utter hijinks will ensue because both of them are too stupid to know any better that's right all right i'm going to go back to that thing you said about uh to- things being tuned not properly okay uh when I was running 5e, as time went on, I had to fudge more and more. Uh, I don't know if it was just a maybe because, like I said, I was still kind of getting my uh, the treads going into the dirt those first couple years because I didn't have a lot of personal long-term experience to draw from. But now that I do, I can see, and I've got other people, other accounts of this, whether it be from people on the internet uh i i have i've been heavily influenced by a youtube channel i just found called knights of last call uh i've watched a few of their yeah and that's actually why that's actually one of the reasons i took it as a personal challenge here to swear an oath not to fudge Mm -hmm. um and they among others and myself have experienced that yeah in in 5e uh there were situations where i had to fudge and it usually wasn't to save you guys it was usually to make the encounters um less boring yeah there there were multiple times where i would make according to the rules what should be a deadly encounter and and we're talking about we're talking about levels five through ten yeah before you guys have gotten these op magic like mm-hmm. our op magic now now that you guys we're are like mid well, mid tier d yeah tier two tier tier two bordering on tier three D uh before i have given you guys your your now you guys are level 16 with a bunch of op stuff high level dnd i'm throwing balance out the window right <laughs> like i'm not even gonna worry about hot balance and in, mm-hmm. in high level fifth edition but at, at, at a point where tier two uh a lot of people uh, think that's that's the part of the game where it shines the most because you should be able to have it uh, a lo- enough mechanical engagement from all your players' classes uh, with uh, creatures to create interesting encounters. And I would say that I could still create interesting encounters, but the number of times that I just looked at that character sheet, looked at the stat block of a monster after you guys got to go once or twice, you know, if uh, especially the monster, especially. So what happened would I would not fudge the monster's initiative. And then I would have to give him more hit points because mm-hmm. you guys got to go before him. And he's just and dying. He's, yeah, he was oh, just it's dying. already bloody. <laughs> yeah, he's he's already he's at half HP or more uh, before he even got to go. So it was either I found a lot of the time it was either fudge the monster's initiative because if if he didn't have legendary if he didn't have off turn actions then uh, the the big bad of the group. It's mm-hmm. usually, you know I I favor the uh, here oh here's one big beefy monster and here and he's got some mooks right yeah and the mooks are all fodder anyway who the cares mooks if are they fodder anyway but you guys some sometimes 
that it's it's just how it's just the way certain mechanics uh work and it, it wasn't just in um 5e we briefly did my very first foray into game mastering was deadlands mm-hmm. uh, original deadlands and i believe that there was a fudge involved um uh, because i wanted to make something happen i don't know it, it's at that point there's an argument to be made that if you fudge you're railroading I mean, right, and that's a dirty word. That, Sam, I'm not sure that railroading is always a dirty word. I mean, it depends on the force at which you're railroading the players. Oh yeah, like if if you're fudging a die roll in order to, like, say, knock the entire party out because it's a plot device to put them into a jail oh, cell no, somewhere. Yeah, don't, don't do that. No, that's that. I think is bad. I think that is legitimately railroading. But if you're just trying to kind of gently nudge the party in a given direction and you're fudging it. If you haven't really taken away their agency, you've just provided them with an incentive, either positive or negative, to to go in a given direction. I don't know that I would consider that railroading, but I mean, I think when it comes to when it comes to the whole fudging thing, I think a lot of it depends on the system that you're playing in. You know, systems that are geared. It's a lot about setting expectations, isn't mm-hmm. it? Too. You know, you you wanna you wanna talk to your group about what will and won't happen in mm-hmm. a game, and what a game, how deadly will this game be? You know, and yeah. So if, if you've promised them, hey your players have a strong chance of making it to endgame, then, you know, then then you gotta do what you gotta do. Whether it be nudging your monster's health, their attack roll, their their miss, their hits, things well, like and, that. And, you know, like you kind of illustrated with 5e, some systems are better tuned than others. Yeah. Like, I, I, I love the Deadlands setting, and the system I love is slow and kind of grinding as the system may be. Yeah. But I don't think the system is really, really well tuned. There's just, there's a lot of potential and you will find this in any game with exploding dice but there is just so much potential in there for like really high spikes of unanticipated damage yeah that can take an encounter with a big bad and just make them small fish that just a couple of good crit rolls here and there and then all of a sudden this prolific you know big bad evil guy that the, the party was Spent, especially, especially with a 5e paladin. Well, right? yeah, divide, well, the crit divine smite. And if you've spent all this time building up, especially if you're doing this thing where you're kind of building up the bad guy behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. Like, they've never had the opportunity to fight him, but they've seen the aftermath of what he's been able to do. Always in his wake. Yeah, it, you know, the, the, the this just trail of destruction that you're following behind. Once you finally get to the guy, if he just turns out to be a total chump because of a couple of good rolls... That's just disappointing. I mean, we've all seen a movie where the movie was phenomenal and the ending sucked. That's what happens if you have that occur. That's and, true. And on the inverse of that, you know, like I said, I don't like to typically see my characters, you know, my, my players' characters taken out by some jobber NPC that, that nobody cares about. That's just, that's... And now, and, and there are settings where there that, that has its place. I think that if you did a setting... Rough and tumble, everything is well, dangerous. Well, like, let's, yeah. just, let's just say you were playing a game in, like, a World War II setting, and you were playing, you know, something akin to storming the beaches of Normandy. Oh, yeah. A stray shot killing a guy in that scene makes a whole lot of sense. If you're playing a more heroic campaign, you know, um... You're trying to take the ring to Mordor. Yeah, if you're trying to take the ring to Mordor, and, like, the first orc that shows up crits Aragorn and he dies. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. well, well <laughs> that sucked. Congratulations, the entire trilogy's ruined. Oh, gosh. You ruined all of it, you know? So, I guess in my mind... <laughs> Doomed is the third age. Yeah, in my mind, even the rules of the game itself are a part of what goes in your toolbox in order to tell a proper story. 
Which means that if you don't need the rules to get to the proper story, you're welcome to throw them out, to fudge them, to change them, to do whatever you need to do. Try to do it with some level of consistency so you're not throwing your, your players way out of whack. If, yeah. You know, when they walk into a situation with the expectation that the rules are going to remain reasonably intact when they make their decisions. I mean, I can think of one example of, of when you were GMing in 5E. Yeah. Um, do you remember the Aram and the Dragon story? This is this is going to come up again in the next episode, I think. Is it? Or a future episode, yeah, where we talk about our worst mistakes okay. as Game Masters. Yeah, I, but no, this one stands out as uh, one of my weaker points as yeah. Game Master. Yeah, yeah and, and you told me after the fact, you were just like, I should have never let you make that role. Because I crushed a role, a persuasion role, basically, to get a, a dragon to, uh, to kind of, you know, I guess help us out or at least persuasion check at least to not destroy us for the thing that we were looking for in its cave and what did i get like a 25 or 26 on the roll it was some 24 if i can remember 24 it was some obscene it was very high for fifth edition with its bounded accuracy yeah and and the dragon still turned on us and we still ended up having to fight it and i was not particularly happy about it we talked about it after the fact i mean i think cody has a pretty easy time dealing with me because having been in the game master seat as much as i have if he does something that after the fact he's like you know what i probably should have handled that differently me and him can sit down and have that discussion easy because i've done the same stupid thing before myself and that was the first thing he said he said you know if it had been up to me i never would have let you make that or if i'd I'd have thought about it in advance i never would have let you make that role yeah I, i never should have uh, we'll talk about that more at a at a future date, but yes, I, uh, I in summation, as far as fudging goes, you're on the side that as long as it's in a system where it's appropriate and depending on it's it's just like many things, it's very situational. In, in, if it's in service to the greater story, I'm okay with it. Yeah, you're okay with it. And on my point of view is, it depends. I think heavily on the setting and your players' expectations. Tell your players ahead of time. You know, and that's actually a generic rule for game mastering anything. <laughs> that's true. Set your players' expectations. It's it's very important that they know what they're going into. They don't want to get to a situation and you're like, oh, we have a house rule about this. No, tell them that stuff ahead of time. If you're playing a tactical ga- tactical game like Pathfinder Two is, or or something like Lancer, if you're playing a more tactical combat based game, I think, especially one that's well balanced, there should be no reason to fudge because. I also, as the game master, can flex my improv skills on that because something might happen that I won't mm-hmm. suspect. Uh, just, I actually didn't expect you guys to lose two of your guys getting kidnapped and drugged. I thought they would <laughs> probably fail those rolls and be, wake up and punch those guys. Stars Without Number has something called the reaction roll where uh, you roll 2d6 and based on a chart... Uh, NPCs that they come across might behave differently. So even though you have a bunch of hostile bandits, you roll a 12, they're going to actually behave at a step or two steps above mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, like the, the, a, a situation of social status. Like yeah. They might actually help them. So as a, as a dungeon master, if you, especially if you want to flex your improv skills, let the dice flow. Let, see what happens and roll with the punches. That's my, that's my, that's the, and that's what I'm going to try to do because after a couple years of needing, of feeling like I had to fudge in 5e, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let go. I'm gonna let go of the wheel, pulp, uh, not pulp fiction. I'm gonna let go uh, a Fight Club style and see what happens. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what I plan to do. That's how. But just when it comes to fudging, do what feels appropriate and don't force your players into situations. Do what you can not to rob them of their agency. Uh, other than that, uh, you got anything else on uh, fudging? today no not really all right uh i believe that is last call coming up 
So we've got the uh, let's I'm gonna I'm gonna let's do some shilling. All right, I want to <laughs> talk to you guys about how you can find us elsewhere if you if it's last call. But if you want to find more of us, if you enjoyed your time here next to the ever burning hearth, uh, you can find us on recordbuttongroup.com along with other shows produced by the record button. You can find the record button on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram, where you can find updates and news. Share us with your friends. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate and review. Maybe drop a comment, too. I'm actually looking forward to, even if it's just our own friends, commenting and having stuff we can talk about. Uh, until next time, I'm Cody. And I'm Lance. And this has been the Game Master Speakeasy. Please get home safe. <laughs>